Welcome to Challenging Paradigm X. Does science fiction facilitate the future evolution of humanity and the conscious mind? Is science fiction possibly a solution to create awareness for important issues in society? How does science fiction shape our future and reality? My guest today is Tom Lombardo. He's a psychologist, philosopher and futurist, the co-founder and the director of the Center for Future Consciousness, editor of Future Consciousness Insights, Professor Emeritus and retired faculty chair of psychology, philosophy and the future at Rio Salando College, fellow and executive board member of the World Futures Studies Federation, as well as member and contributing editor of numerous futurist organizations and publications. Furthermore, he is the author of nine books and many articles focusing on futurist topics including wisdom and the future of education, the future of consciousness and the human mind, dystopian and utopian thought, theories of the future, and science fiction. In this conversation, we mostly examine the role of science fiction for futures thinking and humanity. So, if you are interested in these topics, stay tuned. Hi, here's Xerxes, and today I'm here with Tom Lombardo. Tom, please introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, good morning or good evening, Xerxes. And uh, my name is Tom Lombardo, and I'm uh, the uh, director of the Center for Future Consciousness, which is based in uh, the Phoenix, uh, Arizona metro area. I'm a futurist, uh, a philosopher, a PhD in psychology, though, and I'm a member of the uh, World Future Study Federation. I'm on the executive board for the World Future Study Federation, and I'm also a fellow of the World Future Study Federation. And fellows are futurists who have uh, been recognized as making some significant contribution globally to the study of the future. I'm a retired college professor and taught uh, at various colleges and universities for 34 years. And now I devote myself primarily to uh, teaching mostly online, doing webinars mostly online, and also uh, writing books. And I'm just finishing up two new books at the moment on the history of science fiction. That's a brief introduction, except for the fact that I grew up in New England and slowly migrated from the East Coast of the United States over to the West Coast and to the hot deserts of Arizona, which I definitely enjoy. You have a broad education and background, and you've done a lot of different things, and also you connect a lot of different branches. How come that you do what you do? Uh, yes, uh, Xerxes, you actually, when we first talked, mentioned the term turning point, and people often have turning points in their life when they move perhaps in a different direction from when they were moving before. Uh, often those turning points are what determine where you end up with or the, or the pathway that you move along. Um, and when I stopped and thought about that, I thought, well, actually, I've had lots of different turning points along the way. And some of them I created myself. For example, at one point, I decided that I needed to leave academia as a teacher, as a professor, and get out into the, quote, real world and dive into things. And that was a uh, a learning experience that was both psychologically traumatic, but in the end, rather educational. I've had various, like I said, various points at which something important happens. And it, in some way or another, it structures where you head. 
when I was young, uh, an early significant experience was becoming enthralled with science fiction as a youth. And it gave me a sense, the cosmos and the big picture of things and uh, the possibilities of uh, the future and the possibilities that exist out in the universe. And um, as a main feature, I would guess, of my thinking, writing, consciousness, is I've always been attracted to big picture, big perspective, cosmic issues and themes, which is how I got interested also later on in philosophy. And encountering philosophy, encountering Plato, and then Aristotle, and then all of the other significant philosophers who uh, looked at the big picture of it all and what it all means and how one goes about trying to understand it, becoming very specifically enthralled with uh, Spinoza and Spinoza's massive metaphysical system that he had. So um, there was science fiction uh, discovering it. There was philosophy discovering it. There was jumping out into the real world or not the real world, the, uh, an alternate reality and getting away from academia, which was a learning experience. And uh, uh, later on, and I'm just going to highlight a couple more. Later on, I discovered the uh, study of time and evolution. And in particular, the um, president of the International Society of Time, J.T. Frazier, who I went to listen to one night and just blew me away and turned everything upside down and got very fascinated with his ideas on what is time and why is there time and how does that fit into everything and what is evolution? What is this that's going on around us? I suppose moving to Arizona was also a significant point in my life because it was after I moved to Arizona that I realized that uh, I was fascinated from many different perspectives with the study of the future and actually started to teach it when I got out here to Arizona back in the 1990s. And before I was interested in science fiction, philosophy of evolution, but I hadn't put it all together. And in Arizona, I ended up putting it together and starting to teach courses on the future and started to write on the future and join the World Future Society and then the World Future Study Federation. So that was a, that was a big event. And then you know, maybe 10 years later, I got very interested in the study of wisdom and met somebody who had a uh, really uh, excellent website uh, called The Wisdom Page. His name was Copthorne McDonald. And uh, we became friends, and I began writing on wisdom and uh, the study of the future and future consciousness. And um, that was a big event back in the early part of the millennium when I got into wisdom, connected it up with consciousness in the future. And I suppose, not as I suppose, definitely another one other big event that influenced me along the way was uh, meeting my present wife, Jeannie Lombardo. And after Jeannie and I got together and were married, I interestingly became much more productive as a writer than I ever had before. I had thrown a lot of time and energy into teaching and, um, and other things. But once uh, we got together, I uh, really started to publish lots of articles and my book productivity went up. Whatever it was, Jeannie settled me down and gave me some focus in the, in the process there. So that's just sort of a brief history of things that impacted me, uh, turning points. Sometimes it was the meteorite hit me on the head, whether I was expecting it or not. And sometimes I intentionally went after it, went after a change. But there have been surprises. Yeah, there have been things that have happened 
that I wasn't anticipating. And then, boom, there was this revelation for whatever reason. I should also mention at the end of that, for the end of that uh, answer to that question, is uh, back about 10 years ago, I decided to write a uh, intellectual autobiography, uh, which I published about 10 years ago. Keeney and I actually wrote this together, and Mind Flight. And it's a, it's a story about the evolution of my thinking from uh, a teenager up to uh, 10 years ago. So what I was talking about just now, I talk about in a lot more detail with more drama in the whole thing in this book, Mind Flight. So you mentioned that science fiction is uh, was a very important starting point for you and your whole career. Yeah. And this is also one of the things you're very well known for, for your expert knowledge in science fiction. So I'm really interested, how do you perceive science fiction as uh, as a branch of uh, literature so how do you perceive it what is the role of science fiction yeah good question and got a lot to say here's some i think main main ideas main points i would have about science fiction number one science fiction is actually about the future of everything not just the future of science and technology but the future of everything which includes society the human mind ethics All the dimensions of the future get covered in science fiction stories. And in fact, a really good science fiction writer is able to create integrative pictures of the future that include all the dimensions of human reality and beyond. In fact, science fiction even goes beyond the future in that it gets into alternate universes, alternate dimensions, alternate timelines. Science fiction sometimes goes delving into the past as well. So that's one thing. We shouldn't just associate science fiction with science and technology. Uh, secondly, science fiction is an expression of the human effort to speculate on and understand the big picture of the cosmos in space and time. That is, science fiction takes you beyond the immediate here and now and stretches your imagination out into the vast extent of time, both past and future, and the vast extent of space, the universe, and existence. So in that way, it actually uh, connects up with philosophy because philosophy gets into the big picture of things too. But science fiction does it in narrative form. That is, science fiction is stories. You know, it's not abstract theoretical expositions, it's stories. Stories which grab your attention, grab your emotions. And that brings me to uh, a third main thing about science fiction. In uh, my uh, history of science fiction, I uh, proposed at the beginning is that science fiction is our modern mythology or mythologies because there's more than one story, more than one narrative. And science fiction actually evolved out of our ancient classical mythologies. And if you were, to, if you come up with a list of the qualities or characteristics of ancient mythologies, that they're fantastical, they often have ethical messages to them, they involve rituals and participation, they have icons and numerous other qualities, and you line them up with qualities of science fiction, the qualities are all the same. Now, what changed or what has changed is that the theories of reality 
that ancient mythologies assumed. Say, for example, a God-centered uh, creationist theory of reality, that or the Earth is 6,000 years old. The theories of reality changed as we move into modern times. So our modern mythologies, which are science fiction, are informed by modern theories of reality versus more ancient theories. And that's not an absolute by any means, because science fiction writers still have frequently talked about and discussed, uh, not discussed, talked about and included in their stories, ancient theories of reality. Uh, for example, um, just to throw one in here, uh, Roger Zelazny's Lord of Light, which was an award-winning science fiction novel, presented a, a futurist techno version of the Hindu deities and the Buddha in a modern science fiction setting, techno-enhanced uh, uh, deities. But uh, science fiction is a mythology in, in that it provides us with narratives that emotionally, motivationally stimulate us, inform us, and inspire us in the same way that ancient mythologies did. And so uh, a fourth thing to bring in here is that, and this is connected with the mythology point, science fiction is the most influential form of thinking about the future in contemporary times. More people either watch it or read it or influenced by it than any other approach to the future. And, and the reason why in part is that science fiction impacts the whole person. It doesn't just simply stimulate the intellect, it stimulates one's emotions, one's motivation, stimulates one's values. It hits the whole person. And so we engage with it and we participate in the reality holistically. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so influential. So I suppose, yeah, those are four key points about uh, science fiction. Well, maybe I'll mention one other one, because I think this is important, very important too. You could see science fiction as it has historically evolved. And science fiction is not something just recent. Science fiction has been evolving for decades, if not decades, centuries and centuries and centuries. You could see it as a approach to facilitating the evolution, the future evolution of humanity and the conscious mind in that it gives us ideas about the possibilities of the future in existence. It inspires us to think and behave and act and be different than we were in the past. So it's actually kind of an ongoing collective activity to evolve ourselves and particularly evolve our minds. And we have many, many different ideas that come up in science fiction, you know, from physical technologies to increase mental abilities to changes in how we communicate and relate to each other, to um, alien life forms. And so we have this incredibly diverse set of topics that get covered, all possibilities of the future, all things that often stimulate us into thinking and doing and behaving differently. So it facilitates our evolution. Uh, what I'm really interested in is uh, when it comes to science fiction, I find it always very interesting that as a branch of literature, a lot of people don't take it too seriously. Why do you think is that the case? Well, 
One of the um, sources of uh, modern science fiction is rather cheap, mass-produced, magazine, dime novel stories that were written for young males back 100, 150 years ago. <clears throat> Simple adventure tales. So science fiction early on acquired a reputation for catering to the juvenile to, to the simple-minded, but that was just part of the heritage of science fiction. Also part of the heritage of science fiction was H.G. Wells, and H.G. Wells was an extremely well-read, intelligent, articulate thinker who was definitely, and, and a great writer too, who was definitely not simplistic or juvenile or trashy in his literature by any means. And also... A lot of people's contact with science fiction is more through the movies than through literature. And so the movies, just in general, tend to dumb things down in terms of plot, character, not always, but lots of times, and have formula types of uh, uh, series that uh, aren't very intelligent or inventive. But I always say to people, well, if you think science fiction is a form of literature, is not up to snuff, then um, go read Dan Simmons' Hyperion or uh, Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash or Olaf Stapleton's Star Maker. And I could present a list of tens and tens into hundreds of really intelligent, deep, great novels that have been written in history of science fiction. One of the, one of the uh, premier science fiction writers of the 1940s and 50s Theodore Sturgeon. Somebody said to him once that 90% of science fiction was junk or trash or whatever the word was used. And Sturgeon replied, well, you know, 90% of everything is trash and junk. Science fiction is no exception. So actually, in my experience, in my life experiences, a very well-worked-out science fiction novel or story is as intellectually challenging and mind expansive as any kind of literature. You know, it, it surpasses. And I mean, I've read Dostoevsky, you know, so I know what great literature is. And it's not like I don't, I, I didn't thoroughly enjoy uh, the Brothers Karamazov for Crime and Punishment. Those are great novels. But so was Hyperion, a great novel. So was Star Maker. And so was. Uh, let's see, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau is a very fascinating, interesting novel. And the list goes on and on and on. So, yeah, science fiction may have a reputation of not being good literature, of, of being juvenile, of being for young males. But that's because of certain things about its history and also because people focus on the movies and don't really spend too much time looking at the great works of science fiction, of which there are many, many. In fact, on my website, I have a list of, in my opinion the best science fiction uh, novels ever written. It's on my Center for Future Consciousness website. So go look at it and pick out one or two or three or whatever and read them. And when you read them, you'll see, you know, this is very deep, challenging, thoughtful, artistic stuff. Yeah. Because of the list, uh, also for the listeners, I would like to know, because I looked at the list and it's an extensive list. Is it a ranked list? It is a ranked list. Uh, that's a personality trait of me is that Throughout all my life, I, I create lists and I rank things. I just, my mind goes that direction. I just have to ask which of these I think is better and what order is it better, you know? And I do that. So it's ranked. 
but it does fluctuate. It I keep revising, so yes. I sometimes will change things around a bit. Yeah. Well, because it's an extensive list, I think it's like 250 books or even more. Yeah, so right. Yes, it's, yes, it's it qu does, quite a ranking. Yeah, it's not written in stone, and after a while, it becomes a bit ambiguous. Not ambiguous. That's not the right word. It, it, it's not as uh, uh, definitive as it might appear because I could roughly say, well, you know, these 10 are the best, but now then the next 10. Some people might think they're just as good or maybe a little bit better, et cetera, et cetera. There's a bit of ambiguity in it, you know. How do you differentiate between number 210 and number 250? Not very much, even though I put them in a certain order. Yeah, but the ones that I have on top and... There is there is a logic to it, and there is a certain, at least in terms of my standards, a certain difference between the ones I have at the top and the ones I have at the bottom, for sure. Okay, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, and I also read, I also look at other people's lists too. I've looked at lots of people's different lists about the best science fiction um, uh, novels, etc. Yeah, by the way, I should just interject on that is that the science fiction community for a long time has also had that habit, that desire to rank and award things. And so they have Hugo Awards every year. They have Nebula Awards every year where they give out awards for the best novel, second best, third best, et cetera. And there are multiple, multiple websites up there that have comparable lists that their creators have put together as far as best movies, best novels. So it's a common thing that people in science fiction do. So just to understand, uh, from your perspective and your standard, what is good science fiction? Like, what would make it on the top of your list compared to things that are not on the top of the list? Mm -hmm. So how would you, what makes a good science fiction novel for you? Yeah, the first one that pops into my head, this isn't necessarily in any order. The first one that pops into my head is that, do I remember that novel or story or think about it a year after I've read it? Does it stay in my mind? Is it somehow something that grabs my attention and doesn't just go in one ear and out the other? There's something about it that's stuck there. Secondly, is it creative? Is it inventive? And, and of course, you know, people often think that they're being creative and inventive when somebody else has said that before. So you have to have a sense of what has been written to make a decent judgment about whether this particular book really is inventive or creative. A third thing is that it has interesting uh, characters. The characters are done well. And there's a plot that's of a, a dramatic plot that's engaging in some manner or form. You could have all different kinds of plots too. You could have mysteries or comedies or adventures. So it's not like there's any one particular kind of plot here. And I, I like stories that are that impress me as intelligent and rich and deep in their portrayal of uh, reality. I, I think of the, I mentioned them already, I'll mention them again, uh, like Hyperion and uh, a Snow Crash uh, for two examples. Also, as I, I'll introduce another one, Kim Stanley Robinson's Mars Trilogy are very rich and intricate in their detail of the realities that get described. You could see a very thoughtful and minded work creating these pictures of the future or other planets. And um, let's see, uh, what other ones? Perhaps I've already covered this in what I said, but the word pops into my mind here. 
insight. And in particular, can you through a story that flows and has the interesting characters generate some fundamental, deep, enlightening, novel insight into reality? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, it's not necessarily that every story has all those things, but the more that it has, the more I want to, the more I would identify it as, you know, a better, you know, higher ranking novel. The, I mean, the ones I rank on the list, the top 10 on the list are Ola Stapleton's Star Maker, which is cosmic and immense in scope, the entire future history of the universe and intelligence. Hyperion, which is based on Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and is a very modern, rich, dramatic. And A Canical for Leibowitz, which is a religious futuristic novel that's very moving at the end and, and other ones on that list. And, you know, if I were to go down the list, I would say, well, here's the qualities on each of these that I would say make it such a good novel. So when it comes to futurism, uh, would you say that insight is uh, the most important thing from the futurism perspective, why science fiction is important for foresight, for future studies? Yeah, I would say that science fiction is important because it engages all of the dimensions of the human mind. It stimulates all the dimensions. It's not just insight. It stimulates one's imagination, arouses one's emotions. Like, for example, to throw something in here, when we think about the future, when we imagine possibilities regarding the future, it's important to keep in mind that as human beings are most primordial reactions to the future are hope versus fear, basic human emotions. Am I afraid of the future or am I hopeful about it? So if one is to delve into the um, our understanding and how we react to the future, it's important to address human emotion because human emotion is a fundamental aspect of our consciousness about the future. So where philosophy may just stimulate the intellect or imagination or even insight and intuition or future studies may focus more on those qualities as well. Those are cognitive. Science fiction addresses the entire spectrum of human consciousness. And so that's why science fiction is of value in our consciousness of the future, why it's important to read and participate in the uh, various mythologies or stories or narratives that good science fiction presents because it stimulates all aspects of the human mind. It moves us along on all dimensions. And people are not primarily moved or do they change as a consequence of reason. They often change as a consequence of more fundamental psychological dimensions like fear and hope, etc. Yeah. So, you know, it's a mistake to try to reason people into a different way of thinking. You know, sometimes it works, but a lot of times it doesn't. But you could sure as hell move people 
if you can get them at an emotional level, which science fiction will do. Yeah. So insight is in there. Insight's important. Yes, for sure. But so is all the other dimensions of the human mind. It's holistic. Science fiction is holistic. And that moves people more effectively, enlightens people more effectively than um, uh, just words and reason. That's part of the reason why science fiction also is strongly associated with the visual. There's the whole history of science fiction art and then science fiction cinema. And so adding in visualization just as another dimension to the experience of science fiction, to see it as well as to read about it. And uh, also going into this direction, I wonder, for example, a lot of people th say that Star Trek had a very major influence on how the world is today. Right. For one thing, from uh, the social aspect, uh, for example, you see Captain Kirk kissing Uhura the first time in, in movie history that, that a white man kisses a black woman on television. And um, up to all those things that, that are gimmicks in Star Trek that are now becoming reality or have already become reality. So how do you see the role of science fiction really for also envisioning the future by by how should i say or do you see that science fiction also has a role of that humans and societies manifest a kind of future that popular science fiction has presented to us it goes both or ways. do you think it's just yeah or do you think it's it's just a coincidence, no, it's not a coincidence that, uh, because let's go back to science fiction again science fiction is modern mythology mythology as a mode of consciousness goes back thousands upon thousands of years, predating recorded history. By the time you get to recorded history, you already got lots of different mythologies. Humans need to make sense out of their existence, make sense out of the world around them, give them something to motivate themselves. Our earliest mythologies were narratives, stories, that provided meaning and purpose for humanity and were able to uh, motivate and inform us as to What, what was the good? What did this all mean? Where are we going? Where are we heading? You know, the Egyptians, the Babylonians articulated mythologies. So did the Asian Indians. So did the Chinese five, uh, the Chinese not so much, but five, six, seven thousand years ago. We need it. It is a, it is a uh, capacity that emerged in the evolution of our consciousness at a certain point in time to give us Uh, coherence, understanding, inspiration. We are storytellers. And so we tell stories about the universe and life and everything. This is what science fiction is now. This is our modern version of storytelling to inform us and inspire us about where we're heading. What does it all mean? What is my role in it? What are the possibilities out there ahead of us? And There is a history that goes both ways on this, in that society and culture and what's going on in it influences what comes up, what gets created in science fiction. The fact that Kirk and Uhura kissed in Star Trek wasn't necessarily just somebody taking the lead, but actually was instigated by a growing sense of openness to human diversity, racial diversity, within main culture thing. So if somebody, if they had done that 30 years earlier, it would have not been a reflection of the contemporary culture at that time and would probably 
uh, people would have had a much different reaction to it. So it both reflects our culture as well as it influences it. So it provides lead, provides direction. It goes around in a circle. And there's definitely lots and lots of examples of this. Uh, there's a book that was written by a science fiction writer about 20 years ago called The Dreams Our Stuff Is Made Of. How Science Fiction Conquered the World. And so that book does a pretty good job of showing how in numerous occasions, things that have popped up in science fiction have an impact on people's minds and people's behaviors, just like things that popped up in uh, the ancient mythologies definitely influence people's minds and their behaviors. And so it's a loop. It's a loop running between the stories, the narratives, and the culture, and how the culture influences the stories we tell. And now, like right now, we have lots of very pessimistic and dark and depressive stories that we tell. Now, that's a reflection of what in us. But it, even if it's a reflection of stuff in us, it's also feeding back on us and making us even more depressed. Okay. Like what a main thing I'm interested in uh, above and beyond, and including it, science fiction works its way into this, is how do we facilitate the future evolution of the conscious mind? And what does that mean? You know, and I think we need to do that. And along multiple dimensions, not simply just to be smarter, but also to be wiser, also to be more emotionally, motivationally constructive, to be able to expand our consciousness more toward the future. That's important. We don't do very well at that, even though we do it. We don't do very well at it. And we forget history. We continually are forgetting history and having to recommit the same damn sins over and over and over again. So how do we evolve our consciousness? And I think science fiction definitely is an expression of that, of efforts in that direction, as well as a, a, a great a stimulus for doing it. I tell, this is back to the future of everything issue. I, I mentioned in, in uh, one of my books on the history of science fiction that, uh, actually in two of them, that H.G. Wells and Olaf Stapleton, who were probably the two most influential science fiction writers ever, both believed that the key to our future, a better future, was not the evolution of our gadgets, but the evolution of our minds, and that that was going to save us if anything did. That's what they focused on. So I think science fiction contributes into that, addresses that, and that's really, you know, in my mind, that's sort of like where I'm, where I'm thinking right now, what I'm doing right now, is interest and concern in the question of what would it mean to further evolve our minds? How does that fit into the big picture of things? How does science fiction contribute ideas into it? Do people find it? How do people react to the notion that our human consciousness needs to evolve? You know, it can't stay where it is. It's not doing us any good here. And we create lots of depressing, defeatist, miserable images and cause lots of trouble with ourselves. You know, and we keep thinking that somehow money and gadgets are going to get us out of this. But it's this that will get us out of it. More so. So science fiction, is, is it the main thing that you feel like will help us in the evolution of our consciousness? Or is there also other things other than science fiction? Yeah, there's other things besides science fiction. There is um, understand the discipline of human psychology, for example. That will help us. Understanding evolution will help us and seeing what that means. And, and not to dis not to discount it, but also developments in technology and technological enhancement will help us. 
And throughout our history, <clears throat> long-term history, human long-term history, running back thousands and thousands of years, there have been numerous efforts from philosophy, psychology, humanistic thought, spirituality, meditation, and other approaches that attempt to, in various ways, enhance or improve human consciousness. All of that is ongoing, and all of that needs to continue to be ongoing. The future evolution of our consciousness is something that can be addressed from multiple disciplines, multiple perspectives, and, and science fiction is part of it, but not the totality of it. And it's something that we have been trying to do for thousands of years. Maybe not so successfully, but for thousands of years, we've been trying to make the human heart, the human mind, the, uh, the human self better than before. Um, and that's got to continue. And, and with all of those areas contributing into it. So I've, I've uh, also read an article that you've written on consciousness in general. Yeah. So like uh, talking also about artificial intelligence and consciousness. So I, I would be really interested, uh, what is your definition of consciousness? <clears throat> yes. Well, I use the term consciousness as being synonymous, meaning the same thing as awareness or experience. Okay, just to start with, I use the three terms synonymously. And consciousness, to define it, would be to say that consciousness <clears throat> is the illumination or revelation of reality. Consciousness refers to the fact that not only is there a reality, but that reality is revealed or manifested. And it appears to me, and this is a point of debate for sure, it appears to me that this revelation manifestation occurs relative to a conscious mind, an individual conscious mind, a self. So I am conscious, as you are conscious, of yourself and the reality around you. So consciousness seems to be connected To, and here I'm going to get a little bit, what, uh, uh, deeper, okay, or more abstract. Consciousness seems to be connected to the fundamental fact that in the universe that we exist, there is convergence of energy and information to complex observation points. So I am a localized, relatively localized consciousness embedded in an ambient surround the cosmos. I am in it. I am part of it. In fact, it allows me to be aware of it. One way that people sometimes will uh, put this point is um, conscious minds or individual conscious minds are the means by which the universe becomes aware of itself. But perhaps let me go back and just highlight that again. Consciousness seems to arise localized or focalized in selves, in eyes, in meats that are embedded in and yet are able to grasp and apprehend that which surrounds them and they're embedded in. So I am conscious here, but of all of this around me. I am aware of this around me and what's within me as well. So consciousness could mean to know to be cognizant. 
But there's levels or depths of consciousness, too, because reality is very complex and indeterminately intricate. So when I say I'm conscious like of a cup, I am perceptually. But the depth of my consciousness of the cup can be shallow or extremely intricate. That is, consciousness is something that penetrates into this incredibly intricate reality that actually creates it. So reality creates consciousness, but then consciousness is that which apprehends the reality that is created. It's like a mirror, a reflective mirror. That's another way to define it. And at your center, is there other things also? So you talk about, and you do research and talk about science fiction, psychology, mythology, philosophy. What's the essence of your work over the last couple of decades, for one thing? And another way to look at it, what do you think are the paradigms that need to be challenged in our world today, in those various fields that you specialize in? Yeah, well, right now I'm in the middle of writing a multi-volume history of science fiction. And I've got three volumes done, but there's a few more at least to go. So that's a long-term writing project. I'm also doing an ongoing uh, webinar series that you can link to on the website on the history of science fiction that derives from uh, the books I'm writing. I'm also going to be starting a, a series of short essays on my newsletter Future Consciousness Insights on this issue of the uh, future purposeful evolution of consciousness. So I'm doing that. I frequently do Zoom or podcast presentations every month or two, if not more frequently than that. This summer, I'm going to the World Future Studies Federation conference in uh, Berlin and going to give a couple of talks there. So I continue to write main issues are the ones, main themes are the ones I brought up at the beginning. Future consciousness, that is our consciousness of the future. Science fiction, wisdom, connections between them. So I write and give presentations and do webinars. Sometimes uh, do things in person. And anyway, starting up this project on why it's important for us to focus on evolving our conscious minds in the future. Yeah, when you ask the question about what paradigms need to be challenged, I'll throw out some for you. And there are things to things that will require a great deal of discussion to sort of get a handle on and see what they mean. But I'll just sort of throw them out to you. Number one, I think a huge percentage of the population of the world still believes that there is something that is absolutely eternal, where I think the entire expanse of existence is all evolutionary. There is nothing absolutely eternal. I mean, I go back to Heraclitus and the statement, the only thing that stays the same is that nothing stays the same. Well, I would say there is nothing which is absolutely eternal, even including the principle of evolution itself, which evolves. So I think that people still want to hang on to something that they think is permanent and unchangeable when reality to its core is dynamic and evolutionary. And I think that's an important thing to, to, to get a handle on. I think that people, uh, this is another philosophical, the first one is scientific too. The second one that I've come across that I think 
over the years, I feel like perpetually needs to be challenged. In philosophy and science and spirituality, other areas, there are people who believe that everything is physical and material, the materialists. There are people who believe that everything is mental or consciousness. And I think they're both wrong. I think there is both the physical and there is uh, the dimension of the mind or consciousness. And I think both of them are equally real and interconnected with each other. And you can't get rid of either one of them, you know, because I will hear people say, you know, everything's reducible to physical matter. Everything's reducible to consciousness. In both cases, I go, no. Okay. I think that people who think that there is a technological solution to our present day problems uh, or that see a life as the good life is facilitated by more gadgets and more contraptions. I think that's a mistake. I think we got to turn our attention to, and I mentioned this one already, developing our conscious minds. I think the idea that you can preserve nature in some kind of static harmony is ridiculous. Nature is evolutionary too. What we need to do is we need to learn how to intelligently evolve nature, not preserve it because you can't preserve it. Okay. I think the notion that we're absolute individuals is a blunder. We are individuals, but we're also interconnected together. And um, I don't think that we should see ourselves as the pinnacle of creation. I think we're stepping stones to something else beyond us. Now, that is an ultimate goal of our self-evolution will be to transcend ourselves, to move to something else beyond ourselves. And I think the notion of focusing on the present is infantile. That's what little babies do, focus on the present. You got to take in the big picture of things, both our history and the possibilities of the future. It's focusing on the present that gets us into trouble half of the time. So those are just some challenges, or some some paradigms, or some points of view that I find, for different reasons, objectionable. You know, but and as I mentioned, I, you know, it would take a while to go into each and every one of them. Yes, uh, this is. <laughs> we could now start the conversation of a few hours. Yes, right. <laughs> but I stick with one question. What do you think? Is it possible for us as a humanity to survive without transcending ourselves and transcending consciousness? I don't think we want to survive. I think we want to evolve. I think survival mentality, defensive, and it's unrealistic. So I'm not saying we should transcend our consciousness. We should transcend ourselves. That is the kind of consciousness we possess should be at a more advanced, higher level than today. And that is going to involve more mentally healthy, more ethical, more wise, more expansive in reach. But back to the first point I made, which was everything is evolutionary. If everything is evolutionary, then the realistic position to take on ourselves is we have to see it through the eyes of evolution. So we can't keep things the same, and they're either going to go worse or they're going to go better or they're going to go someplace, but they're not going to stand still. So what we need to do to focus on is evolving ourselves, not thinking about survival, but evolving ourselves. And so if we want to persist, we must grow. If we do not grow, we're not going to persist. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to petrify, you know, and we'll fall apart. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would say... You can't survive without evolving, and so we need to evolve. For today, I would like to finish up with 
how do you want to be remembered in a hundred years from now? To have significantly contributed into where we're going to be a hundred years from now. That yeah, that where you are, that 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 what I wrote and thought about in some way or another helped you a hundred years from now to be at the point you're at. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for your time and this inspiring conversation. Yeah. Thank you, sir. It was nice meeting you. Nice meeting you too. Thank you for staying tuned for this edition of Challenging Paradigm X. If you like this episode with Tom Lobado, feel free to share it with your community so Tom's message gets spread even further. In the show notes, you will find the links to his work. Please hit subscribe and rate my podcast if you liked it. I'd be also very glad if you write me a review. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me. Next week, we are up with another edition of Challenging Paradigm X. Until then, I wish you a great week.